Welcome to the midweek edition of Legal AF. I'm Karen Friedman-Agnifilo, the co-host of the Midas Media Network's show, Legal AF. And as many of you know, I was a prosecutor for almost three decades. However, all of my experience was in the New York state system. And since Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg has put the kibosh on any New York prosecution of Donald Trump, the most likely prosecution will come from the Department of Justice or the state in uh, in Fulton County, Georgia, uh, Fonnie Willis, who's the prosecutor there. So I, a friend of mine, uh, Donya Perry, who is a nationally recognized white collar criminal defense attorney and litigator, she previously worked at the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, some would say the best U.S. Attorney's Office in the country, the Southern District of New York. And she also has worked for the New York State AG's office and has uh, prosecuted many, many crimes. And I thought when she uh, when she said she was available to talk about potential federal charges against Donald Trump, she was the perfect person. And lucky for me, she agreed to be on our show this week. She's also the co-author of the Brookings Institute report called Trump on Trial. It's a fascinating report that is just a roadmap to what is happening and what the evidence is and what the possible charges are against Donald Trump. And although it's quite long, it's very in-depth, it's easy to read, it's in chronological order with the elements of the crime. And I highly recommend anybody who wants a deep dive into what's happening at the Department of Justice right now and potentially in Georgia and what the charges could be and what the evidence for those charges could be to read this brilliant report that has links to absolutely everything. They don't just say, this is what happened. They they cite and cite and cite and link to every single place that, um, that you would find that evidence. So I'm thrilled to have Danya here and uh, welcome to our show. <laughs> it's great to have you. Thank you so much, Karen. Thrilled to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for that for that plug. Um, I also commend anybody to read the the Brookings report that I I was lucky enough to be one of the co-authors on. Uh, we uh, we published it right before the hearing started, and um, it does track I think a lot of what the evidence showed, but of course it doesn't fill in the blanks of what you know what the committee has actually put together and what the Department of Justice is now apparently looking at. So I assume that's that's part of what we'll discuss today is how we slot in the evidence into uh, onto the framework of the, the legal elements um, that uh, we all, I think, suspect, those of us kind of in the know who've been watching it very closely, suspect might be the statutes that the Department of Justice uh, is looking at. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and thanks for having me. So I, the report, I, before the hearing started in the report, uh, I think you said, and the report said, our review of the well-established law and public record evidence leads us to believe that there's substantial evidence of all the essential elements of certain federal crimes that are that form the basis for prosecutors to go forward. So did you look, th- tell us a little bit about what you guys looked th- through and what you were able to analyze. So we combed the public record. You know, of course, we have we have no inside scoop. Um, you know, we don't um, have access to anything that 
the committee has not put out publicly. Um, certainly, we're not speaking off the record with the prosecutors. So, so all we have really is what is is has been reported, and we tried to really limit ourselves to what has been credibly reported. And um, of course, our experience and our knowledge of what you know what the facts as we understand them, you know, how they might um, likely be, be applied, both, you know, in the committee hearings and then uh, I, more aspirationally at the time, the way that state, local, and federal prosecutors might look at, at the evidence. So, you know, we, we really just did an exhaustive, as thorough, comprehensive, deep dive into you know, everything that was, that was out there, um, you know, going back as, as far as, as we could. Um, and there's a lot out there, of course. So it really, it's, as you said, it's a lengthy report, um, heavily footnoted. Um, and so there's an executive summary for, you know, for anyone who, who doesn't want to read the, I, I don't even remember how many pages it is. Um, but, but we did want to make sure that we marshaled all of the facts that were, that were available to us and try to organize them around a legal and statutory framework. Has anything new come out in the hearings that have either added to some of your findings or surprised you or different or, or tell us how, because it was a, you, you talked a lot about sort of what is going to happen during the hearings and what the evidence is to support the various charges that we're going to talk to talk about in, in detail in a minute. Um, but did anything now that you've had the benefit of what, eight or nine hearings, uh, is there anything different that you would say or add to the report in any way? Uh, a couple of things for sure. I mean, maybe not different in kind, but, but certainly, you know, as a, as a former prosecutor, it, the devil's always in the details and jurors or audiences of any kind here, it's, it's obviously more of a, a an audience of, um, you know, political audience and, and, and uh, an audience of the electorate at large. Um, but, but they, they need something to wrap their arms and their, and their brains around. And that usually comes in kind of this narrative arc, the story that, the, the prosecutors are here, the committee members are telling through their opening and closing statements and their questions. And of course, through the testimony of the witnesses and the documents and the, um, you know, they, they put together some great spread, uh, some spreadsheets and some PowerPoints. And so I think they did a great job actually of, of organizing that and putting it all together in a really digestible way. I'll say my own glosses, I think the, the committee and, and, Vice Chairwoman Cheney in particular have done a masterful job of, of organizing what really is a tremendous amount of evidence. I mean, well over a thousand witnesses um, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of documents as I, as I understand it. Um, and, 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 and they just, they gave it a, a framework that I think is, is, is really understandable. And then they, you know, hung each of their, um, hearings around a particular theory of of fraud or one of the prongs of the conspiracy, as as Cheney put it. So um, there are a lot of details that that I think nobody knew and um, could not have predicted that have really 
added, I think, to the the drama and the intrigue and, you know, really that 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 story, um, for lack of a better term. Some of the witnesses, you know, Cassidy Hutchinson was a former aide to Mark Meadows, who was the chief of staff at the time. I think her her testimony definitely was a game changer and 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 she threw some some bombs and i think that i mean it's not just me saying that it's it's it seems like that was also um a a changing or turning point for the department of justice who suddenly you know after 18 months um reportedly took notice um i i i remember um, reading the, the headlines in the New York Times that this jolted the Department of Justice into action. I just remember because it jolted me that they hadn't before been jolted. Um, so it, so I think her testimony, you know, she had a lot of gripping details, you know, just that visual of the ketchup dripping down the, <laughs> the wall, right, in the executive dining room. Um, you know, she... So she Gave it. It was gross, right? But but so evocative <laughs> and provocative, so and, true. and told the story. It's you know the the president in a spit of rage because his and he really saw Attorney General Barr as his lawyer. Um, but when Barr you know went out publicly and said he did not see evidence of the kind of fraud that would have changed the the election. You know, he he he. You know, I don't know if he literally turned the tabletop over, but he 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 had a temper tantrum, and that and that tells you a lot about these unhinged final days of the presidency and the lengths to which the former president went. You know, to kind of try and get his way. So I think details like that were new. You know, I think there's been a lot of focus on the detail of that ride in the in the presidential motorcade and and the and the the fight really for lack of a better word between the president and his um secret service detail and you know a lot of people have focused on that i think that's i don't think that as a legal matter i don't think that argument and just to remind you know anyone listening or watching it's the the argument around the president who wanted to go to the capitol by this account um, and the Secret Service, who said that it was not secure enough and they, they were not going to bring him there. And Cassidy Hutchinson relays you know, a secondhand account, but now it's been corroborated reportedly, that the president went into another fit of rage and you know tried to kind of put his hands on um, the security service officer. And I, I just think that, you know, I don't know that that makes a difference as a legal matter. Other, you know, it goes to his state of mind that. He really wanted to go there. It, there's still some gaping holes. What did he want to do at the Capitol? Um, but it is, it's just the kind of, you know, detail that really reaches out and grabs, you know, lay people who are listening to it, who are really trying to, maybe for the first time, realizing how how deeply deranged and completely unhinged the former president was in those moments. Um, so we, I don't want to, you know, I am now giving a bit of a soliloquy, uh, an answer, maybe a long-winded answer to your question, but I do think there were a lot of those moments that had both legal Im- impact, you know, that that really will have moved, will should have moved the Department of Justice, but also just, I think, you know, more politically or in terms of grabbing a more general audience, you know, really um, filled in some gaps and made this much more real, 
in a way that I think we had not imagined before. I too was surprised, (laughs) you know, I I too was very surprised that the Department of Justice hadn't been investigating, you know, the fact that the Congress had interviewed over a thousand witnesses before it appears that the Department of Justice started investigating this. How, how can you explain that? I mean, they've prosecuted over 800 people, these, these pathetic, uh, you know, I hate to say that, but I felt, I felt so sorry for that gentleman who, who testified, Mr. Ayers, who's like, oh, you know, I'm, I president said I wasn't planning on going to the Capitol on January 6th, but my president said, come to the Capitol. So I went. And then he said, go to, you know, at the, at the ellipse. Then he said that go to the Capitol. So I marched. I wasn't planning on going before, but I did. And we all did went in because he told us to stop the steal. And then when he told us to, to, to leave and go home peacefully, 187 minutes later, I left, you know, I was just doing what he said. And I just, in some ways, felt so sorry for him that he's just a normal, simple American who has a job and a family, and he was just listening to his president. And now he's been prosecuted. He's a felon. And Donald Trump and the people who have absolutely, I mean, this this report that you wrote and what's coming out at the hearing, at the hearings, I mean, it's absolutely, without a doubt, a huge criminal conspiracy that that Trump, Eastman, Meadows, and and others at the top were were responsible for. It just why was it? I don't understand why the Department of Justice wasn't doing more to investigate the people at the highest levels. I mean, what do you? Why why is that? Is it is it because it's unprecedented to prosecute a president? Is it because Joe Biden is so conciliatory and, and he wants to move heal and, and reach across the aisle and move the country forward? Is it because we're worried about setting precedent for future pres- presidents where you know each side prosecutes the other if we don't like them? I mean, I honestly don't understand because when I read these facts and I and I read and I watch these hearings, and you just the more you learn about what's coming out. I, I, I just, I scratch my head and I don't yeah. understand. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. It, 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 it's been a head scratcher. I mean, I, I, I agree with so much of what you said. I mean, you and I know as prosecutors, um, we would build cases and sometimes you do it, you build up, you know, you, you, you start with low hanging fruit and you flip some people and you go up the chain that's obviously not this case. Uh, people like Stephen Ayers and, and others, you know, weren't going to have direct communications um, with mm-hmm. with the president or anyone in his orbit. So, and 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 there isn't, you know, that kind of leisurely <laughs> pace was just not going to going to fly here. So, I think all of those theories that that you just postulated are, you know, it, it's got to be some of those things. We we all know that. And I think, and, and A.G. Garland has said when he came in that this is going to be a very different administration than the last one. I mean, the Barr administration, where he 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 was, as I said before, the president's lawyer. He was willing to, you know, to prosecute his enemies and protect his friends. We saw the pardons that were given out. We saw some of these um, prosecutions. I mean, I I represented Michael Cohen and successfully got him out of prison when. He was, you know, he was literally put in solitary confinement for, you know, the the crime of 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 saying that he was going to be writing a tell-all book about about President Trump. And we've seen plenty of other examples. So I think Garland tried to, yeah, I think he overcorrected. He tried to bend over backwards to be, you know, quote unquote, apolitical. 
but you know, you can bend <laughs> so far over that you go the other way and it, and that then becomes political, that you're not prosecuting people who clearly, you know, we've seen reams of evidence now. Clearly there was factual predication to have initiated a uh, an investigation a long time ago. Anyone else, you know, there would have been an investigation that would be well underway and mature by now, not just starting to put people into the grand jury, you know, a, a year and a half later. So, you know, yes, as you as you said, Karen, I agree with you. I, this case is a unicorn. It's what we call in the law sui generis. It's its own thing that has has really never been seen before. And, and hopefully we all, you know, pray we will not see again. Um, but and maybe that's what, you know, Garland is thinking is, gosh, if I start a precedent here of prosecuting former president, what's going to happen after the midterms? What's going to happen in 2024? Um, maybe, you know, he's got these prudential considerations that honestly, if you look at the Department of Justice guidelines, there is a manual, it's called the Justice Manual. There's nothing in there that says that you may consider these kinds of political factors. You you may not consider that as a, as a prosecutor. So it's, um, I agree with you, it's a, it's a head scratcher, but they're looking now um, and you know, I think they're, I mean, they, they're going to see what, what we've all seen over the, this past summer, there, there's mountains of evidence. And that's not to say that there's certainly enough, I would say to, to bring an indictment against, you know, against Trump and plenty of other people. What the justice department I'm sure is going to be thinking is not just, can we sustain an indictment, but can we sustain a conviction? And, you know, the, the proof, of course, for that is beyond reasonable doubt. I'm sure they're imposing an even higher standard of proof on themselves because there's really not a lot of room for error here. Um, but it's, you know, we've seen some precedent now with this Department of Justice where there have been some very high profile political people who it looks like from where we sit that there's plenty of evidence. Matt Gates is one with that um child sex trafficking investigation where there was a cooperating witness and literal receipts. Um, and there've been searches, there's been, you know, uh, witnesses in the grand jury that has not come to fruition, at least yet. Rudy Giuliani, there was a search, you know, well over a year ago. Um, and uh, nothing has come out of that. So I don't know if they just simply didn't find what they thought they were going to find or what looking in from the outside looks like they should find, um, or if they're just imposing a different standard of proof, or if they're just really deliberative and slow and taking their time, um, we don't know. But, but, but certainly, you know, we have not seen a lot of activity um, from the Department of Justice at these higher levels against, you know, significant, um, you know, politicians with, you know, where it could cause political consequences. We just, we haven't seen that. Yeah. So just, just to ex expand upon what you just said, I'm um, going to give a little more explanation for our listeners. 
Um, so there's different standards of proof in the law. And uh, to make an arrest of somebody, you, you can arrest someone on probable cause, which just means that they probably committed the crime. And most cases, uh, when you arrest someone, it is on probable cause. But in very serious cases and very high profile cases. So, for example, at the Manhattan DA's office, um, we used to get into arguments with the NYPD because in every homicide case, if they had probable cause to arrest someone, that wasn't enough for us because charging someone with murder was such a, an important thing and such a big deal that we held ourselves to a higher standard, even though you technically could arrest someone on probable cause for a crime like that. We held ourselves to a much higher standard, which was that you could prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the absolute highest standard and the standard that you have to prove in every criminal case in every courtroom in this country, state or federal to to um, to convict someone of a crime. You have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. So it's not uncommon in very serious cases or high profile cases or a case like this where uh, a prosecutor's office would hold themselves to that absolute highest standard uh, to 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 you know, again, it's such a, a, a unique thing that you're doing to prosecute a former president that I'm not surprised that they would do that. What does surprise me, though, is they wouldn't have at least started the investigation earlier. That That's just what I don't understand. You don't have to bring a case. You don't have to. Ultimately, even if you have enough, you can use your discretion and say, you know what, I don't want to take this step of prosecuting a former president. But how how they didn't investigate this from the very beginning. I, I, I'm just hoping that they did and that we don't know about it because investigations by their very by their very nature are secret. And, you know, I, I, that's what I'm hoping because I otherwise I, I just can't believe it. But so let's get down to the nitty gritty that everyone wants to hear. So what now that you you've sort of done your deep dive and you've seen what's out there, what do you think is the strongest charge against Donald Trump? And you can either federal or if you want to or Georgia, whatever, you know, whatever you think is the strongest charge, whether it's because it's the easiest to prove or the most evidence or whatever it is, which which do you think we have, if any, you know, do you think we have to uh, prosecute him at this point? So I think what we've seen so far, I think we've got evidence of a conspiracy to defraud the United States, which we'll unpack in a, in a moment, and conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Um, I think there's been some evidence that of a um, seditious, cons seditious conspiracy, um, which we'll, we'll also talk about. But I think that, yeah, that that to me, I think is a little is a, a little more tenuous. So what? So. Essentially, and I, and I think the proof is the same, the elements are a little different for these crimes, and I don't want to get too in the weeds, but for I will say, I will say the listeners of Legal AF, they like the weeds. So we have a very smart, it's like, it's almost like a law school class. We have a very, very smart um, listenership, and they, they're really interested in the law. And so I, I think they would appreciate, especially in this case, to go a little bit into the weeds. Okay, so I'll start first with obstructing an official proceeding. So that is for the aspiring law students out there. It's in the United States Code Section 18. It's, I'm sorry, it's 18 United States Code Section 1512. And that is 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 actually it's pretty simple. There are many different pieces of it. There's one piece that makes it a crime to uh, tamper with or threaten a witness, which 
maybe we'll talk about later because I think we actually have seen some evidence. So there's a bunch of different prongs, but but the one that seems to fit, I think, most closely here is um, is the is the code book says that whoever corruptly attempts to or does um, interfere with, impede, or obstruct an official proceeding is guilty of a crime. Um, that's it. Seems pretty straightforward, but there's been a lot of legal precedent and a lot of case law out there that kind of develops what those terms are um, and what they mean. And we've actually seen, we've gotten a lot of precedent recently um, out of the District of uh, Columbia, which is where I think any case would be brought that I think is, would be very helpful, is going to be very helpful um, to the prosecutors if they, if they bring in additional cases. So a number of, of individuals who um, who attacked the Capitol that day have been charged with this crime, 18 United States Code 1512. And what, you know, I think there's not a lot of question that I think Trump himself has admitted to a lot of the elements, I think, of, of this statute. Clearly, he um, made a lot of phone calls, had a lot of conversations, made very clear that he wanted to stop the count. I mean, that he, he said as much many, many times. So the question I think is, did he do so corruptly and with criminal intent? And I, I think to, to boil it all down is, did he know that he lost the election? Um, and did he know that you know, that it, that, that there was no legal theory on which to hang his hat, to, to, to try in the, in the many different ways in which he's tried to stop the count, uh, and to stop the, 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 the transition of, of power. And I, I think, you know, we put this in our report that came out right before the hearings. Uh, there was a lot that was already out there in the public record, but we've learned, so much more about, you know, both direct and, and, and a lot more circumstantial evidence of the president's, the then president's state of mind at the time. Um, what, and- if he's, what if he's delusional, though? What if he, despite, what if he truly thought, and I, I don't understand him or understand his way of thinking, but what if he truly did think that despite all the other evidence, I mean, at a certain point, are you allowed to act on your delusions? Do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. It's a great, like, it's I, a great question. I think then he's got a defense of criminal insanity. That's it. Because it, it, unless you're criminally insane and you really cannot appreciate all of the indicators, all of the evidence that point in one direction, then you are, then you've got criminal liability. And here, Every credible advisor that he had, legal, political, familial, and otherwise, was telling him one thing. You lost this election, and there is no legal path for you to stay in power. And we and and that what I think has been so powerful in this set of hearings over the summer has been direct testimony from many of those, and they are diehard Trump supporters, or they they were, they still believe in the policies and they believe in the agenda. Some of them said they would actually vote for him again. So these are people who had every motivation to support him and to try and keep him in power. 
And they witness after witness, you know, the lawyers, the campaign advisors, family members, they, they got on the stand, they raised their hand and swore to tell the truth. And they said they understood at a certain point, once the, you know, the legal cases were lost, case after case, dozens and dozens of them. It was like 60, that there right? was no path. I think it was 61, maybe. Uh, I think he won it, one. Yeah. I think I think there was, he lost 60 yeah. and, and won one, one, something like that. You know, didn't yeah. change an actual vote count. But, no. but yes, <laughs> the near perfect you know, record of, of losses, um, for the Trump campaign and for Trump and that, you know, so they come up then with these ridiculous theories that have no, you know, there's no support for, and, and what's even more than that, they're not, you know, even the people who were making them, we've heard testimony have said at times, you know, kind of, you know, off, the record, but we, we now have the testimony, even they didn't believe them. John Eastman, who was one of the president's, you know, quote unquote, legal advisors, but, you know, who we, we there, there's now a ruling from a federal district court judge that the crime fraud exception applies. And we can unpack that too, because he was, he knew that he was essentially committing a fraud. So he told you know, President Trump will hear some ideas that I have, including, you know, that we, that we can try and persuade Pence, your your vice president, that he's got a legal path to stop the count and to return the electors to the states. Even he admitted in a moment of candor, I forget who one of the White House lawyers testified, perhaps I think it was Eric Eastman, uh, um, Eric Hirschman, um, that he said, look, I know we're going to get, you know, a unanimous um, rejection from the Supreme Court. And I know right. this probably, <laughs> right, this probably um, violates some of the, some of the, the code, right, of the Electoral uh, Count Act. But let's just go along with it later and let the chips fall where they may. The, you know, he admitted a moment of candor. Giuliani, right, the, the, the most out there of the, you know, quote unquote, team crazy lawyers. That's not my, you know, it's not my moniker. That's one of the insiders monikers. Um, you know, even he said also, you know, that that he didn't think this was going to fly. But again, let's just try it and see what happens. So I, I think there's there's just witness after witness and documents after document that that show that everyone who who had been you know a trusted advisor everyone who was credible was telling trump there is no path forward you have lost this election there is no evidence of fraud you've got to move on and he didn't so so unless he wants to go you know down the path of i you know am criminally insane and i, I that's that is a you know that's a defense um in 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 the in federal law and but I don't I don't think that's um I don't think he's going to go there um <laughs> I, I think he's kind of lost that you can't just see you know all the evidence around you and just choose not to believe it you know you see these cases I mean there's a case in in California right now um of a, a guy who who I mean horrifically killed his children and said well he he thought the you know, lizard people, Illuminati were telling him to do it. That's not going to be a defense unless it's an insanity defense. So, um, so I think that's, that's the, 
that's the kind of dividing line there is. So the official proceeding is, is the vote count on January 6th by Mike Pence. And you think that that's counts as an official proceeding, right? And I I mean, many courts have, have recently held that in, 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 you know, connection with, these insurrectionists who have been, who have, many of them have mounted, tried to mount that as legal defense. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty well settled by now. I think every okay. judge, maybe one um, has, has questioned that, but I think pretty uniformly, yes, they have found this is an official proceeding. And so the evidence that you would need to prove against Trump is all the things he did to try and disrupt the official proceeding. So let's just say you, you took us through the corrupt part and and that I, I think you've got that given all, all of what you said. But then what what do you think the evidence is that he intended that the proceeding be disrupted? Is it all the is it the the Eastman plan to come up with the fake electors and the calling the, the 300 state the, the the meeting with the 300 state electors like what what are the things that that you think are are proof of his trying to obstruct this official proceeding i mean there there's i think that's there is just an overwhelming amount of, of evidence that that's what he was trying to do he had this meeting that's been described you know as 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 heated acrimonious you know, literally from crazy town, the meeting, I think it was on December 19th or 20th, which um, was attended by, you know, the, 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 the craziest of the craziest, right? It's Giuliani, it's Sidney Powell. It's for some reason, this overstock.com guy uh, and, and Michael, Mike Flynn. And um, on the one hand, and then there's like team normal um, again with air quotes, on the other, it's it's the White House lawyers. Um, Hirschman is there, and Pat Cipollone, White House counsel, and they're going, you know, toe to toe. And Cipollone is saying, "Where is your evidence of any fraud?" And they cannot come up with any. We see this, you know, time and time again. Even Giuliani said, "You know, we have theories, we just don't have evidence." I think he said that to to Bowers, the Arizona. Um, uh, head of, uh, head of the um, Arizona legislature. So they don't have any evidence and they are, they are just trying to come up with some way to put this off. And after that meeting, um, you know, within hours, I think Trump sends the famous, the infamous tweet saying, come to the Capitol, you're going to march, we'll be wild. And, you know, he gives, he gives the, the speech uh, on the ellipse, which, you know, a lot of, I think there's been a lot of legal discussion as to whether or not that's inciting a riot. I, I think he was just careful enough that I don't think there's that charge, but he's still asking people to go there and raise, you know, a ruckus and, and create mayhem. And while and this he knew they were armed at that point. That's the he thing that Cassidy Hutchinson, that's what I thought what she said was really powerful was, was at that point, he said, I don't care, you know, take away the magnetometers. And she said, you know, but, but they're armed and they've got spears and weapons. And he says, I don't care. They're not here to hurt me. And so then he takes these, this armed group of people and literally points them. It's like a point and shoot, you know, at the Capitol, like what you think was going to happen. I don't know. To me at that point, that charge maybe got a little stronger, I but I 
agree with you that, you know, sedition, seditious conspiracy got, I think that, that that's the first really direct evidence of, of, of his, of, of Trump's criminal intent to stop the proceedings by force. What we've been talking about up until now is other ways to corruptly stop it exactly. by fraud and, you know, per, you're trying to corruptly persuade Pence, all these other things. The other side of that coin is doing it by force. That's seditious conspiracy. And I think that is, I, I could not agree with you more. I thought that was stunning testimony that maybe, you know, maybe can, can help build that charge. But, you know, and then as you pointed out earlier, there's that 187 minutes where he does nothing. So he points and shoots, as you just said, and, and it doesn't call the Department of Defense, doesn't call the, the you know, the police, the Metro Police, the, the Capitol Police, doesn't call national security, you know, folks, doesn't do anything and does not call them off. I, I, I think you pointed earlier to Stephen Ayers' testimony, you know, this, this kind of, you know, this guy who shows up and does what he's told and would have left earlier if the president had told them to left you know, once the president did tell him to. So there was a lot he could have done. He didn't. And I think, you know, dereliction of duty is not a, a federal criminal offense, but it certainly is evidence of criminal intent of what he wanted. And he has said what he wanted. He wanted Pence to stop the count. And then the fact that he does nothing while this is happening and could have is evidence that he didn't want, he, he wanted these people to be doing what they were doing. He was, he was, that was his goal too. So I, I think that's really powerful evidence that goes to um, criminal intent, both for this conspiracy to defraud the United States and this conspiracy to stop the electoral count, to stop an official proceeding. Um, so if I, you know, I want you to take us through the this other charge, the conspiracy to defraud the United States. But before you do, I just want to say something about what you just said. Um, if I were prosecuting this case uh, and I were trying this case and presenting it to a jury, I would uh, in real time recreate those 187 minutes. You know, what exactly was he doing? What, what television show was he watching? What was it showing? Who was calling him? Who was begging him? Who was saying what to him? What was he doing? And I would try to recreate that because I think that is what's going to sink him you know, in, in this totally case. Agree. So powerful. And, you know, it also powerful is the fact that, you know, we're hearing more and more every day, we get more information about information that has been, you know, what we call in the law, spoliated, has been destroyed, or at least, you know, has not yet been turned over and might have to be, you know, um, you know, gathered through other ways. I mean, we're hearing a lot now about Department of Homeland Security and, and Secret Service, but you see this, you know, this absence of call logs, uh, you know, the White House photographer was 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 told to, to stand down, you know, during these 187 minutes. And the committee has been able to put together, you know, recreate some of the timeline and what they have gotten, again, not from official records, we don't know yet, which phone Trump was using at the time, but it's 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 really powerful what he did do instead of calling, you know, the Department of Defense or all these other, you know, um, agencies that could have the Department of Justice put a stop to this. Who is he calling? He's calling Rudy Giuliani, I think more than once. And he's calling, you know, a couple of the senators he thinks are on his side to tell them, hey, you got to you got to 
you got to work with me here. And they, and they're saying to him, uh, you know, maybe we would, but we're actually being ushered out for, for security reasons. I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That is going to be so powerful. We'll tell the story. You know, they just got to put up a demonstrative, which has the timeline and, you know, little bullets of what he was doing and what he was not doing. And I, I just think that's going to be devastating. Devastating. I, I agree. And I'll, although if they do prosecute Rudy Giuliani, I do think he has an insanity defense because he has gone insane. You know, America's mayor who after 9-11, you know, he was, I, can't, I hate to say it, but he was the guy who brought us all comfort and, you know, brought us all together and made us feel that we could move forward. And you look at what he's turned into and where he is now. I, I really do think He's lost it completely. I mean, he lost it. He was the—I mean, he was not only the mayor, but he was the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York. And when I worked there, his picture was up, you know, in the lobby, and he was well respected. And you know, I—I was one of the people who signed on to the disciplinary committee um, complaint to get him disbarred. And it—it frankly was—they did something unprecedented, which was even before. hearing it formally, they, they suspended him. I mean, that's almost never done. It's, it's just because you rarely see conduct like this. I mean, yeah, he's, he's unfit. With- yeah. He's unfit. There's yeah. something wrong with him. Um, so, so, I mean, you know, he's obviously a big, a big piece of this and, you know, we've seen some of it, but there's a lot, uh, there's, there's a big, part of the story that still has to be told and department of justice obviously has tools in their toolkit that, um, that, uh, you know, that the committee doesn't have. And we've already seen this aid to, um, to Jeffrey Clark, who was the, you know, who, (laughs) I don't even know what to call him. He was an environmental lawyer within the department of justice and um, Trump tried to install him as the acting attorney general. Um, Thankfully, we have a lot, you know, a lot of dedicated, um, well-meaning people at the time within the Department of Justice, um, you know, the the actual acting attorney general at the time. Um, and, and his deputy, Rosen, both Rosen and Donahue. Donahue. Yeah. Yep. Both said they both they said would they're, yeah. They, so they would step down stupid. and they said there'd be a mass exodus of yeah. of prosecutors at the Department of Justice. I mean, I, I think a lot of these people, I, there's been a lot of criticism of, do you call these people like like Cheney and others, you know, Liz Cheney and, and some of these others, you know, her- heroic. And and then you hear people say heroic, you know, they were just doing their job and, and why didn't they do more? And look, I, I think there's, it's hard to go against the president of the United States. I don't think you can, you can, understate the pressure they must have felt and the import of what was happening and the fact that they believed in this man for many, many years. And then they see him kind of going where he was going. And I give them a lot of credit for standing up to him and stopping what could have been much worse. And, and Mike Pence is another one. I, you know, I'm not necessarily calling these people national heroes, but they should get credit for what they did. They did, they stood up for what's right. And, and I'm a big fan of what Liz Cheney's doing. I, you know, I don't necessarily agree with all her policies, but I agree with her ethics and her morals and her, and her feeling to do what's right. And, and the fact that she's trying to save democracy, our democracy and our country. And, and there are, people who have have done that and have shown that courage. And I think I think that, you know, the the Jeffrey Clark 
thing could have been such a fiasco and that we had Rosen and Donahue stand up to that. I, I think they should get credit for that. I, I, I mean, I could not agree with you more. There are, you know, uh, enough people who held the line, just like the Capitol Police held the line yeah. you know, at great personal risk. Yes. I mean, you know, they, they do deserve um, credit for having done that. You don't have to agree with them ideologically or politically to say they did the right thing, uh, yeah. you know, and, 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 and it was not easy. I mean, you hear these stories, these heated arguments, and everyone knows the lengths to which the former president went, you know, I mean, he called people out by names. He could ruin careers, lives, you know. He's a bully. He's tampering with witnesses during the hearing. I mean, the guy stops at nothing. He's the biggest bully there is. And, you know, I, it's, I don't know. I, it's, I can't imagine the pressure, you know, the people who resigned and the people who stood up to him, it's, it's, I give them a lot of credit. Yeah. I mean, from, yeah, from Rosen on down to these election workers, you know, who, who also were trying to do the right thing at great personal risk. I mean, it, you know, there are a lot, there are, I think a lot of, 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 good, solid citizens who, who, who did the right thing here. And I mean, you know, our democracy held, but it seems like a pretty thin line. And I think that's, you know, part of the work of this, of this committee is putting that out there, how close we came. I mean, physically 40 feet from Mike Pence, you know, you've got this murderous, you know, rioters who are, are screaming, hang Mike Pence. And so we came really close, but to go back to the thread, cause I know we want, there's so much to talk about here. I was, what I, all I was going to say when I was talking about the DOJ investigation that has, you know, finally sprung out of the committee investigation is the different tools that they have. And I was going to use as an example, one of um, Clark's aides who um, helped him write that letter to the, to the Georgia um, legislature, um, right, which falsely claimed that there was indicia of fraud and they should, you know, pull back the electoral votes. I mean, you know, this guy was, I forget his name, Kulkowski or something, maybe you remember, but he's now, um, through his lawyer, has, has said that he's, he is cooperating with the Department of Justice. He's testified in the grand jury. And he, he, he does know where the skeletons are buried and he, he can talk about direct conversations that he had. And so, you know, as, as Cheney said, the dam has begun to break, it's breaking and witnesses are coming forward and the Department of Justice can, you know, will have soon enough, we can talk, you know, it's a whole separate conversation why there's been such a lack of coordination between the committee and the Department of Justice, but they're now they're now cooperating with each other and working together in some way. And, and they're getting, the DOJ is getting all the transcripts. And so, you know, it, it's, it seems to be happening, you know, after, you know, very, very slow walk, it seems to be happening pretty quickly. And it's a domino effect, as you know, you know, once people start cooperating, other people are, are saying like, oh, you know, what if I'm next? Let me get in on this and let me tell, you know, what I have so I'm not in the crosshairs. Is that cooperation? Is that common? Uncommon? What is the? How, how does that work? Yeah, I think when I mean it's it's it depends, right? How how strong the proof is that the government has, and I think what's happened here is, you know, we're all seeing on our screens that there's a lot of evidence out there, and uh, we're all seeing that the Department of Justice is now 
you know, taking interest and is getting, getting this information. So I, I think there's going to be, you know, a, a lot of, of, of people like, um, you know, like this uh, Jeffrey Clark aide who's going to, who are going to come forward and whether it's to be on the right side of history or whether it's to avoid, you know, criminal prosecution themselves and, and get immunity or else get a, a cooperation agreement, you know, depending on their level of exposure, um, I think people are going to be tripping over themselves to get in the door and, you know, tell their story and get in the right side of this. Um, so we'll, we'll see. It seems to be starting to happen and I think there'll be more. Tell us a little bit about, so you, you mentioned there were two charges that you thought were the strongest. One was that we talked about the obstruction of a, an official proceeding. Um, the second one you said was conspiracy to defraud the U.S. Can, can you just take us quickly through that and, and what the elements are and, and, and how that works? Yeah, so I think it's going to be a lot of the same proof. And, and you see this all the time. You have, you know, there are a number of different statutes um, that you know prosecutor can charge and use the same same evidence same facts um, but sometimes a jury will see something differently or sometimes you know one of the charges is um, you know more apropos than another but they like to have different theories um, to give you know a jury I think different ways of looking at it and maybe you never know, how the proof is going to be adduced at trial. And, you know, maybe sometimes it will actually end up fitting, you know, one statutory framework better than another. Um, you, you know, you know this. And so, so, but I, so I think, so that, the you know, conspiracy um, to fraud the United States or conspiracy to commit a federal offense is like the bread and butter of pretty much every um criminal case, um, well, that I ever investigated. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's very standard. Uh, it's very simple. So it's, it's 18 United States code section 371. And there are different kind of iterations of it, but the one that I think is, would be applied here is it's, uh, I'll just read the elements. It's a, a, the government would have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that at least two people entered into an agreement. So Trump and Eastman or Trump and Meadows. Right. Or Trump and Clark or, you know, yep. choose choose your co-conspirator. I think we've, we've heard mm -hmm. a number, Giuliani. I mean, there could be others. Mm -hmm. um, entered into agreement with, with the other, with the specific intent to obstruct a lawful function of the government, to do so by dishonest or unlawful means uh, or deceitful or dishonest means. Um, and then there has to be one overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. And, and that's almost nothing, you know, it's, so it it's, just means they had to do something. Oh. Yeah. Well, you had to do oh. something. Right. So, I mean, and almost anything counts. What, what it's trying to avoid is just two people sitting around jawboning saying, oh, you know, I wish we could, you know, obstruct the <laughs> electoral count. And then it not required, to yeah. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here, I mean, it's not even worth pausing too much because so much was done. I mean, the so the much was done. Pence, uh, the calls to the Georgia, you know, Secretary of State, um, the the writing of a legal memo, a fake legal memo. You know, I mean, there's so many different little steps that were taken towards this goal of stopping the count. So the, um, the hardest element to prove here would be by deceitful or dishonest means. Right. And this is, again, right, where you have to prove that he was being deceitful or dishonest. Right. 
right? And I think, you know, I, I think um, Liz Cheney did a great job of laying out at the outset, I think it was in the first hearing, where she said she called it a seven-pronged conspiracy. Sometimes they say multi-pronged. Um, and they laid out a bunch of different methodologies, um, a bunch of kind of iterations. You know, they would try on one theory, right? One, one means to try and, you know, stop this. And that didn't work. So they would try another one on, right? First, the court cases, which were perfectly lawful. No one's saying, you know, they have every right to try and bring cases. And they brought whatever it was. We, we're not sure we lost count, 60, 61, and lost every one of them. And so, or nearly every one. So then they tried on, you know, other, other ideas, right? And, and some of them, I think, are a little more kind of arcane, a little more maybe difficult to parse than others. The one, and this is just purely my own, you know, personal gloss on this. I think one that is very easy for 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 a jury of lay people to to wrap their arms around is the the slate of fake fake electors or alternate alternate electors as as they're sometimes called. But I mean, as a as a gift to prosecutors, some of the state legislators actually went so far as to call them literally. <laughs> quote, fake electors. So yeah. that's just like solid gold, as you know, to prosecute. Yes, they don't exactly. have to prove they were fake because the conspirators were calling them fake. Yeah. Um, and that is just something, it's just so, you know, and and, and some of these, um, you know, fake electors uh, have talked about, publicly have talked about, and no doubt will testify, that um, they were lied to, right? They were told, okay, put your names on a slate and, if we win the court case, you know, then this will go forward. Then this, but that's not what happened, right? They were the, these fake electors. They were, you know, the co-conspirators, whoever they shape up to be, you know, tried to submit them to Pence to use. And they, they submitted them to the National Archives. So I, I think that's going to be pretty, pretty damning um, at the end of the day. And, and you see them, like you see the real slate of electors, you know, it's got the official seal and then you've got this, you know, kind of <laughs> like lesser, you know, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the steel, but it, 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 it doesn't have all the trappings, but they, they sure tried. And so it's like a counterfeit, you know, $20 bill or something. It just, it looks kind of funky, but you try to pass it off and that's, that's a, that's a legal problem for you. So I, for, and, 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 I, I what we've heard is that is something that DOJ has specifically asked some of the witnesses who've already testified in the grand jury about. So it may be it may be that that's all we're hearing about. As you pointed out, there's probably a lot going on that we're we haven't heard about. These these proceedings are are you know there's a grand jury secrecy is sacrosanct. So prosecutors are not supposed to talk about it. It's actually a crime to do that. Witnesses are allowed to though. And some have, and that's how we have some information or, you know, reporters who are down at the, at the, at the courthouse or who see, you know, folks walking sitting outside, out yeah. <laughs> like can draw inferences. So I think it's been pretty well corroborated at this, at this point. Um, but there may be other things we don't know, but we do know from some of the witnesses that they were asked specifically about the, the fake electors, which to me sounds like something that is tangible and that, you know, a, a jury could understand, you know, you, you, it's like a counterfeit bill. Like you try and, you know, pass something like that off, like 
that's a fraud. That's a garden variety fraud. And, you know, we'll look at the elements that the judge charges us, the ones I just laid out and see if it ticks off every box. But um, I think we've seen evidence that would establish each of those elements beyond reasonable doubt. Uh, You know, for some reason, I worry though a little bit about it because you only need one juror to hang on, you know, to, to hang, to hang a case. I just worry about if you have one juror who just, who just focuses on the, well, I think he really believed it. And I think he really thought it was true. And and that's one of the reasons I really like the charge of aiding or inciting an insurrection. And now that we have this new evidence, because even if he believed it, even if he believed he won, you, you can't do it, right. You can't, you can't, go take it over by force. So, you know, and, and even if you can't, even if you have a hard time proving that he intended it, even though Cassidy Hutchinson said, you know, he was told they were armed and he, he pointed them at the Capitol. uh, He, that's why those 187 minutes of his omissions and, and of what he did, didn't do anything. That's where I think this charge is, um, is, is so powerful because, you know, there, there's this kind of the, there's this body of law about um, about, you know, you don't have to stop things. Right. You don't have a, it's only certain people have a duty right. to intervene when something's happening. But he's in a position to help. And he was the commander in chief of all the armed forces. And he saw what was happening. I think you can make a pretty strong case that he had a, a duty at that point to stop it. And you had people begging him to do it and to stop it. And it and it took him that long to to do this video where, you know, he, he barely could choke out that video that how many takes yeah. did he have to do? And yeah. it was amazing until he could finally get those words out because I don't know, to me, I would just put that that chart now, now that we have this other evidence, I just think it it really it's sort of a little bit of a um, a safety net charge, because in case you do get that one person who thinks, well, what what if he actually believed it? You know, yeah. I, I don't know. What, what do I, you think I about mean, that? I agree with you 100 percent. I think that will be the strongest charge and, and the easiest one. If they to me, I think they're going to need a little bit more um, because I think I mean, we're starting to, to see, you know, some evidence. But we've got what we don't have is a lot of the direct conversations that that people had with the with the president because a lot of them are claiming executive privilege and we don't have the the call logs we don't have you know a lot of the records the white house you know records from from the time period and secret service but can't, but can't the doj compel the ones if, if biden says doesn't the current president hold the executive privilege yes and so so, the, so it's a great it's a great point a great question so so uh, my law firm filed a, an amicus brief in the Supreme Court when Trump tried to stop the National Archives from producing records on the on the claim that there's executive privilege. And, you know, we wrote a brief on behalf of a number of um, former elected officials saying um, exactly what you just said. And um, and the Supreme Court, you know, agreed with these arguments that, um you know, the, the the president is not a king. We don't have a monarchical system. It's not a king for life. He's gone. That privilege, you know, this Supreme Court agreed to the next. Yeah. <laughs> so, now, wow. so 
So that so that's why the National Archives had to you know turn over the the information. And what Depart- the DOJ is doing now, which does give me some hope, <laughs> that they actually are now after you know some some foot dragging, are trying to get out ahead of this. They are now preemptively. Um, taking this this question to court uh, very specifically you know we've heard some of the the witnesses in the grand jury um i think um uh some of pence's aides uh, mark short and i um maybe greg jacob I, I don't remember who the other one was but and they invoked executive privilege about a very you know narrow scope of uh of communications that they had with with trump and doj you know reportedly, you know, a couple of outlets have, have reported this, is is going to go ahead preemptively and make the argument that executive privilege does not apply so that we can get the full scope, right? All of this stuff. I mean, the, the, it should be an easy win, frankly, and it should be quick. The Supreme Court decided this case, you know, went all the way up from the district court to Supreme Court in three months. So it should be even less time, hopefully now. And that will mean that we can get these, you know, Pat Cipollone is another one who's invoked privilege, although he seems to want to tell the story. And so I think if we if we get that, I mean, if they can if they can get some of the the texts that have been deleted, figure out what phone you know the president was using, um, get those logs, they're going to have a, just a much more complete picture than the committee was able to get, and we'll be able to fill in exactly those blanks you're talking about because. I, I agree with you a hundred percent that those 187 minutes, his inaction um, and what he did do instead of, you know, doing what really any president or rational, you know, actor would have done is the story. And it will be an incredibly powerful one to, to a jury, but, you know, we at least um, haven't heard that yet. Um, but, but we can hope that the department of justice will be able to piece it together. Speaking of deleted text messages, do you think there's something nefarious going on with the Secret Service when there happened to be system migrating and lost the January 5th and 6th text messages? I mean, do you, do you believe that or do you think something else is going on? I, I think, look, you know, we're all aware, like you probably represented um, clients. I have now, I'm a, you know, I'm a defense lawyer now. You know, organizations make mistakes, there are glitches, you know, maybe there's an explanation. Government agencies are no exception. In fact, you know, <laughs> they, they can be uh, very slow uh, technologically. But um, the Secret Service um, isn't, it, it's one of its charges, a lot of people don't know this, they're in charge, of course, of, of, of protection of president and, and, and members of the administration. Another, you know, real significant part of their of their mission is um, cybersecurity, and um, you know, they 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 have a whole headquarters where they actually train other agencies in cybersecurity. And the notion that they would have had a wholesale deletion without backup or without any, you know, just you know, right after this, like. Yes, coincidences happen, but but this, you know, piled on top of a lot of other information we've heard about some of the political leanings of particularly some of the, you know, the president's detail, you know, some of them, or at least one of them went back and forth, you know, between the political role and the protection role, which is, I think, unheard of. Unheard of. But others can, can yeah, it, you know, and then you've got this, 
inspector general who was sat on this information uh, and other information for months, you, you start to you definitely start to wonder. Um, and so if it has been, you know, wholesale deleted and there was no backup and there's no way to, to piece it back together, that means it was purposeful almost. And I mean, at, or at least it makes me I agree think with that, you, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's not a mistake. It's the product. I agree of, with you. Uh, and, um, so I think I, that there's definitely, I'd be shocked if there's not a mini investigation of, of exactly that piece within this broader investigation. And I hope they'll be able to get to the bottom of it. I don't know why the IG is still in his seat. I don't know why he still has his job, um, but it's probably part of this overcorrection problem that we were talking about the early part of this, you know, of like appearing not to be political. So yeah. they go so far over the other direction. I mean, any other president would have, would have, you know, I think would have put in their uh, own. Yeah. Already. Yeah. Said goodbye to this IG. Uh, Cause he's shown uh, that's a dereliction of duty. I think at a minute. I agree. So, okay. I have two, I want to ask you about two more, two more things. Number one, I was listening to uh, po- another podcast. I think it was um, Preet Bharara and Joyce Vance. They do this, um, this great podcast where they do deep dives into things and, and, they talked about potentially a manslaughter charge, um, which I thought was so interesting, uh, where there's a death on on federal property. And, you know, I, I haven't heard anyone else really sort of talk about that. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting. And I didn't know if you had any any thoughts on that um, or if you had if you had thought about that charge. Did you ever I prosecute that federally? And I, I if it's on federal property, yes. Um I and I I usually listen religiously to that pot. It must have been today. Was it? To, I know they. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It oh. wasn't. It was. It was this other one. They have this new one that you have to subscribe. You oh, know, the insider. Yeah, the insider <laughs> one. I actually and it was and it and and it was. Um, I don't think Preet was on it. I think it was two women who were on <laughs> this one that I was listening to. Mm-hmm. I, I it was just it was just interesting. Uh, to hear that as a potential anyway. So I won't, I won't ask you about that one, but I just thought that was interesting. And the, the, the last one um, I'd love for you to talk about is the Georgia prosecution. You know, the, the, what do you first, do you think that it's appropriate that that happens in Georgia or should we leave it to the DOJ to do the whole kit and caboodle? Um, What do you think of a a sort of companion state prosecution going on? Uh, I sort of like it because, um, Trump, if or or who, if, if there's a Republican right, president, can't pardon. But then again, of course, if there's a, the Georgia governor, if there's a um, a Republican, can. So, um, but but what do you think about the kind of you know specific Georgia piece of this, where there was among other things a call to uh, on January second to uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger saying you know find the eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty votes, uh, one more than what um, Biden right. won for. Um, what do you think of that that whole that whole thing? I I think it's. Look, it's it is a good kind of to me this this it's good to kind of hedge. <laughs> we don't know if DOJ is going to do anything, right? Um, look, and we don't know if Fannie Willis, the the DA in Fulton County, is 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 going to make a case either. But she certainly has cast a very wide net. She sent out a blizzard of target letters and of subpoenas um, recently in recent weeks, and. Um, 
what what she has is kind of to, to the point I was trying to make earlier about like a discreet, um, easily understandable, digestible piece of 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 evidence or of, of an allegation that I think is just uh, you know pretty simple to to wrap your your head around, and that is that call that you just mentioned. I mean, you know, the DOJ by all accounts is looking at a very, you know, broad conspiracy, who knows how many actors, who knows, you know, how many people are going to be caught up in it here. You know, there, there are a couple different pieces of it. That was the letter, um, that, uh, that, that Clark wrote, you know, with falsely claiming that there was fraud, but, but I think it comes down to this, um, this phone call, and there were a couple other phone calls, but the, the one phone call that we've we've heard um, where Trump says, find me the votes, right? It's, there are a couple little discrete nuggets like that. Um, that is just very hard. You know, it just, it sounds incriminating on its face. That's not to say there's no defense. I, you know, I don't, creatively, I, you know, I'm sure one could come up with one, but it's, it, it, you know, on its face, it's, pretty inculpatory. And, um, you know, so, and she doesn't have the same kind of political pressures. She also, I mean, you know, has, has other, um, you know, hurdles, right? She's got DOJ can send a subpoena to anyone anywhere in the United States and they have to comply. You know, she's, she's got, we've already seen a judge push back on one of the subpoenas that she issued, you know, others are going to be, um, you know, pushing back and 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 trying to um, avoid having to testify. We'll see how that goes. But it's a, um, you know, it it's it's another iteration of it and another, you know, a smaller piece of it. And um, you know, she's she's going all in. You know, she doesn't have the resources, obviously, of the Department of Justice, um, but she she seems to be putting a lot into it. And, um, and we'll see, I mean, I don't know, you know, it can take a while for some of these, um, these little court battles, right. The, the subpoenas that are being fought, you know, can take, can take some time. So, um, but Department of Justice is going to take some time too, right. Nothing, none of this is going to happen anytime. Yeah. So do you think there's any possibility that this happens before the midterms? If by this, you mean an indictment of Trump, I would say no. I, I'd be shocked. Um, but what, 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 you know, you, you may have heard. Even in Georgia. Of, oh, I don't know. Georgia, I, I, that I, you know, we've heard a lot less about that one. Um, and I, I frankly, I don't know that office. Um, you know, I know the way DOJ works. I know, look, they just got, um, they did a couple of searches. They did um, a search and, and seizure um you know, in um, Eastman, well, Eastman and Clark's, you know, devices were, were, um, were seized. And, you know, I know from, from working at at justice and I know from, from being a criminal defense lawyer with some high profile um, attorneys, um, including politically, um, you know, politically kind of acrimonious ones. And I mentioned Michael Cohen was one and Michael Avenatti is another one. And there is so much, so many hoops that DOJ has to go through to get that, those search warrants. And that's just one little piece, right? And so, it, so I just think it's going to take a while to, to 
build a case where they feel it's so bulletproof and so airtight that they're ready to bring it. Um, but I don't, I don't have that same sense about um, DA Willis's investigation, how long that will take. It certainly seems to be very hot um, right now. It sure does. So there's one more uh, legal concept that I'd love for you to, to discuss, which is if Trump tries to say I was relying on my attorneys, um, there's there's something called the advice of counsel doctrine. Can you kind of just explain what that is and whether you think that holds any water here? Yeah, um, it's 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 actually rarely used um, because once it, it can be a defense, right? If if someone says, "Oh, I don't I don't know anything about this," you know, this is what my lawyer told me. I I thought it was totally above board and totally lawful because my lawyer told me that. And if in fact the lawyer, you know did provide that advice, even if it was wrong advice, that, that can be a defense um, in certain circumstances, in many circumstances. But once you proffer that defense, then there is no attorney-client privilege anymore. That is broken. And so any communications that you have with that attorney um, are then available to the government. And so that means, you know, the, the government... We talked earlier about a search that they did on Giuliani's home and his office, and they have a special monitor in place to make sure that anything that's privileged does not get turned over to the government. All that would be off the table. Um, so any any communications that any of his lawyers have where he's claiming that defense, um, you know, is is going to have to be turned over and. So you think he's going to it think makes, long and hard before he asserts that defense because right. it, it could show some pretty ugly communications. That's supposition, you know, <laughs> but I'm, I'm willing to bat that when they thought, you know, that their communications were cloaked in this privilege, um, there may have been some pretty frank conversations um, that he that he may feel um, are not going to be favorable to him at the end Interesting. of the day. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so I, I, I do want to just give one more plug to the Brookings Institute report that you uh, co-authored, because I, I just think the way you describe the facts and, and the way you sort of build the case, you build the case the way a prosecutor would build it, you know, and you you really sort of talked about how there were three stages of his efforts to overturn the election. There's the before election day. There's then the period of time, you know, during um from, from election day to January 6th, and then there's the January 6th um, kind of insurrection. And, and you really do such a great job of going in chronological order of um, all the different pieces of what the facts are that happen. So, you know, in, in before election day, you know, what, what were all the things he did? You know, then you say like on July 19th, 2020, there was a Fox News interview where he said, I refuse to accept the results. Then on July 30th, there was a tweet where he said, I'm going to postpone the election. And then September 23rd, there's a news conference saying I'm not going to ever commit to the peaceful transfer of power. I mean, and you go through this, you know, I, I literally took notes where I just thought, wow, it's like piece by piece by piece in chronological order of all the things that show before the election um, what his plan was and what his intent was. And then you talk about the time period from the election to January 6th and his campaign to overturn the election and all of the false claims and frivolous litigations and the plot to seize you know, vote counting equipment. And you again, you go methodically 
date by date, you know, where all the, all the times where, um, where it shows that people were telling him that he, uh, had no, had no leg to stand on here. You know, his campaign told him that there was no fraud. The intelligence community told him there was no fraud. DOJ told him there was no fraud. You know, Bill Barr said it was nonsense. And, you know, then you get to the state le- level rep- um, Republicans who told him no fraud, whether it was Georgia, you know, um, and then others, you know, who, who, um, who, who kind of did this. And, and then you talk about his scheme to retain power, you know, I, and I just, it's, it's, I've been watching this, I've been following this, but I sometimes get buried under mountains of evidence. And it's like, now what does this relate to? And what does this show? But this report just did such a good job at the way you, the way you sort of did it in, in this way that you can understand um, and that you can sort of see the progression. And, and I think that, I think the committee, um, the select committee hearings did, did a very similar thing um, as well, you know? And so I just really think that it's worth the read for, for the legal AFers out there. Um, It's, it's actually worth the time to do it because uh, it explains all of this in, in detail. And, but it also will make you scratch your head and say, how is it that the Department of Justice isn't, you know, they, they better be doing something. I mean, I, I get the, the, you don't want to prosecute a president, president, you don't want to start kind of set this precedent. And I actually had that feeling during the whole Mueller Russia probe. I thought that was really had this feeling of, of political and why are we doing this? Um, but not this, this to me is a whole other ball game and, and things like, like your, your report and the, the Jan six select committee hearings, I think are, are really, are really spelling it out for, for people um, for the general public, but also for the Department of Justice. And so I just really commend you for, for the efforts that, that yeah. you've done and just how great it is. And um, Thank you so much. I, it means a lot coming from you, Karen. Thank so, you. Um, I know I was so excited, you know, because we, we talk about this all the time and, you know, they, they always they always. Popak, you know, my, my co-anchor or Ben Mizellis, you know, they'll always say, oh, Karen, the former prosecutor, what do you think? What's the prosecutor's perspective? And look, I never, I've never prosecuted anything federally, you know, I just haven't. And so I, although I can, I can surmise certain things, I don't have the inside, the inside baseball kind of perspective that you have. And so just your perspective is invaluable in this. And I'm so grateful. Well, invite me back, please. I'd love to. (laughs) This news is not going to go away. anytime. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So are there any parting comments or thoughts, anything I didn't touch upon that you want to, that you want to kind of leave us with? No, I, I, this has been a very, like, I, I, I feel like we have so much to talk about that. I kind of went off on tangents uh, more than once. Um, but, uh, no, I've just been so impressed with, um, as I said before, with kind of the masterful presentation, I, I Liz Cheney, I think she is actually a lawyer. I don't think she was ever a prosecutor, but she, she's, she would have made a great one and <laughs> maybe that's her next career. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it just was so well organized and so easy to to understand, not I agree. abstruse and you know, and just 
I thought every witness, I mean, you talked about Stephen Ayers before. And at first I was like, why, you know, why they have him on? And it was just so clear, really smacked me, you know, across the face. Like this guy w- would have done anything that Trump told yeah. him. And then, and then we see that his inaction for 187 minutes and the yeah. mayhem and the brutality and those the, the, the officers who held that line for three hours when he could have stopped it. And, and this guy and all of his compatriots would have left. And, 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 and so it, it, it actually every, I, I can't think of any testimony that was too much or that was, you know, frankly, you know, it was boring or that wasn't necessary. I thought it all really I held together incredibly well and, and told, you know, just a mosaic that all came together to tell a very, very powerful narrative. I completely agree. And there's more to come, so. There's more to come, I know, <laughs> I know. in September. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, it's just so such an honor and privilege to have you on this show. And um, I look forward to having you back. Thank you. See you then. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye.